Hello and welcome to Westmead Library's podcast. My name is Caroline Barry and this month we have a fantastic programme for you. I managed to interview a few people so that makes it all the more interesting. I got hold of Eugene Dunbar, a retired school teacher who has done amazing amounts of work here in Westmead, particularly in relation to bogs. And he is a font of knowledge with regard to the entomology, uh, the geomorphology and the nature of our boglands. I also managed to get a hold of, very briefly, while she was doing a public consultation, Melanie McQuaid, who is the Heritage Officer here in Westmead. During this podcast, or at the end of the podcast, I'll give you a rundown of some of the things that are happening in the libraries here in Westmead. But remember, you can always find out more information on www.westmeadculture.ie. Okay, well, I'm very lucky here to be joined in the library by Eugene Dunbar. And Eugene is, did you set up Ethos? Um, I was very much involved in the setting up of it, yeah. Okay, so just to tell our listeners, Ethos is everything Terrell's Pass has on show. Yes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And really it's about celebrating this little village in the middle of Westmead and the environs. So... What has Ethos done? Come in closer here so yeah. we can hear Well, we're, we started about 12 years ago, and I am a retired history and geography teacher, so I've always had a huge interest in kind of the local environment from a geographical point of view and from a historical point of view. Um, the ecology, the geology, the geomorphology, the eskers, the bogs, that, and I've been bringing children or young teenagers out to the bogs, you know, for going back to the 80s, really, because yeah. I'm, I'm from Limerick, uh, when I oh, came right, Limerick. Uh, Limerick City. Oh, yeah. right, I was born in Limerick Where City. Were you? Yeah. Oh, gosh, it was great. Yeah. 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 Very different countryside, it very is. different environment, much more lush. Yeah, yeah. So then he came up to the Midlands. Came up bog. to the Midlands, and the minute I saw the bog, I kind of fell in love with did it, you? in a sense. I did, absolutely. I was God. mesmerised by the whole concept, you know, and, and, yeah. and just, and I've learned so much about it then since, you know. Um, I just found it a fantastic place. Well, anyway, the ethos, I mean, that's my kind of background. A group of us got together and uh, we started to kind of explore our wider environment and the bogs and the eskers and the history of the village and the architecture and all this kind of stuff. So basically, we kind of organised events during the course of the year. You know, we'd get specialist um, speakers down. to, to talk, we had somebody on Bog Bodies with John Feehan over who did the, uh, yeah. the the Eskers with us and we did we did lots of stuff. Let's talk about the bogs. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because uh, you've done amazing stuff. You've been very, very um, coy here, being taken a backseat, <laughs> but actually you have done amazing stuff, particularly around, well, there's a, the, you've been proactive in that sink, the European Carbon mm, Sink mm, bog mm, that's mm. happening up in Tlingo. Uh, and then you've also developed a pathway across the bog and then I'm also really interested in your moth trapping trapping. so let's start with wherever you want to jump off from do you want to do the carbon sink yeah yeah, well um, I suppose traditionally 
you know, obviously bogs were places where people cut turf. And then there was a kind of a keen interest arose about the bogs and basically the ecology of the bogs, but was mainly concerned with flora and fauna, looking at the plants and looking at the wildlife on the bog, which was surface stuff, if you like, you know. And in more recent years, you know, the scientific people have discovered, you know, that, that the bogs are in fact a store of carbon. Right. And and that um, like we've measured we've measured depths of ten meters of of, of peat on Clancrow. You know, you put down wow. the probe, you get ten meters, and a meter of peat takes a thousand years to grow. So you're talking about peat that has been 10, growing and developing for ten thousand years, mm -hmm. basically since the end of the last ice age, and that peat is pure carbon. You know, so that's 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 the big climatic. Um, issue if you like that if the hydrology then comes into it if the bog is wet and if yeah. it's kept wet then that carbon is secure it's like embedded it's and it's, it's okay. locked in and in fact not only that but if the surface of the bog is rehabilitated and becomes an active raised bog it now begins to absorb carbon as well so it's building up a store of carbon but the big issue is to keep the carbon that's there keep it in the ground well, nobody's farmed that bog for a long time. Nobody has. No, they haven't. But um, if you look at the old maps, yeah, there's a map from 1820, um, which was done by the British government. At that stage, they, they surveyed an awful lot of bogs because they had the intention of farming them, basically, okay. of, of, and growing crops in them. I think it was oh, okay. hemp and flax and all this kind of okay. stuff. They were just investigating that. And they did an enormous survey work, you know, right. and those maps are available. And if you look at the map of Clancrow in 1820 yeah. and compare it with the maps now, yeah. the bog in 1820 was twice the size that it is now. But is that because there's deciduous trees going? Well, that's one issue, but um, they're, 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 that's more recent, really. But what happened was that people, well, obviously people began to cut turf, okay. you know, yeah. and that created a cut, a cutaway area. And then on the edge of the bog, in especially in the 1970s, 1960s and 70s, people began to drain the bog. So uh, to, to actually turn, turn them into, to, farmland. into farmland, basically, okay. into pasture land. So yeah. that kind of accounts for a huge loss of of. The habitat and mm. with the result a huge loss of and habitat is the big is the, is well the i was only now. up there the other morning yeah and i saw two deers one of them yeah i thought one of them was albino which is really Possibly. odd yeah very yeah. magical yeah to yeah, suddenly yeah, arrive absolutely. upon um talk about the moss that it has been yeah. encouraged to grow on that bog yeah well yeah so i mean the, the key the key plant on the bog is the sphagnum moss okay. you know because that's it's an incredible like all the all the plants that grow on a bog on an active raised bog they're highly specialized they have adapted um, to a, a very harsh environment it's an yeah. open space it's a wilderness do you know the winds will blow across it and yeah. very little will survive very little plant life will survive there but sphagnum is one of the key plants it is the key plant it's a moss but the incredible thing about it is that it derives all its nutrients from rainwater so it doesn't have a root like when we think of a plant you're thinking of a root system yes, you know roots yeah, yeah. going down deriving okay, nutrients yeah. from the ground and this is this is what supports the plant okay. but but sphagnum moss actually derives all its nutrients just from rainwater incredibly like you know so just little droplets of rain they have, if you look at it if you look at sphagnum under a microscope you'll see these the cellular structure and you think that there are no nutrients in rainwater but yeah. there are and that's what it that's what it that's wow. what it serves 
survives on, that's what it feeds on. Now, there would be other kind of microbiological kind of yeah. stuff going on there as well. But yeah. So basically, <clears throat> the sphagnum moss isn't tied to the ground because it doesn't have a root system. Okay. So ne next year's sphagnum will grow on top of this year's sphagnum and the year after will grow on top of that. So it's building up and up okay. and up and up. Now, when I say it's building up, it's, you know, a centimetre every, every hundred years. Okay. So you're talking about, you're, you're talking about um, you're a talking fragile. About, yeah, it's a, a very fragile yeah. thing, but it's, yeah. it's, it's just an incredible, it's an incredible It's very kind. magical. Yeah. I'm just, um, of course, one of the reasons I'm fascinated by the bog is my, it's behind my grandmother's house. Right, yes. You know, yeah. where she was born on Christmas Day in 1906. Right. And as a child, I used to be afraid going up there. Right. Now, around that area is, there are a few fairy forts around right, that yeah, area yeah, as well. Yeah. There's also a Sitka right. forest, which yes, I'd like yeah. to see the back of. Yeah, well, but that is going, actually. Is it? Yeah, and they're yeah. not going to, re they, are they going to plant deciduous? No, they're going, they're going to reclaim, they're going to reclaim the peat there. They're going to reclaim, oh, they're going to rewet the bog. Yeah. So at the moment, that bog, Clonkrow bog, is part of a project, mm. isn't it? Mm. A European project. Yes. Yeah. So that's the Care Peat project. So that project is actually finished. Technically it's finished now. Mm. But it was a trial it was a trial area and there are students PhD student Elena is in there and she's measuring she measured the carbon emissions from the bog mm. before they rewet it. And she's all that data. And then they rewet the bog, they block the drains and they put in this system of what they call cell bonding. And then after all that restoration work, she remeasures the carbon, the carbon emissions. Okay. So, so the data is there, the scientific data is there to say that if you rewet a hectare of peatlands, yeah. you know, that you're, you're actually saving so many tonnes of carbon. So we could actually have the carbon rich we could be oh yeah i mean yeah so, so it's, oh yeah but the thing is it's carbon loss is the big issue but if you can restore it from losing carbon to actually yeah. absorbing carbon then and you're to do that you winter. must wet it you must you must wet it now when they say wet it you see the the people have a misunderstanding of that they think flooding it kind yeah. of thing but if you if you raise the, the water table is the key issue like so the okay. water table is where the saturation point is down underground so if you raise the water table by raising the water table every inch you raise it every meter you raise it you're actually locking in all that that carbon so even though you mightn't be restoring it a hundred percent you yeah. are actually locking it in and the higher up you bring the water table that's you know, the lock well, is more secure. This July must surely have assisted. Oh God, that. yeah, it is. But it's incredible because um, we have we have a piezometer out on Clancro down near the village, and yeah. it's measuring the the the, the fluctuation yeah. in the water table, and this data has actually been recorded instantly, and the data has been sent down to to Galway University, okay. and I have access to that, and I can go down with my phone and I see where the water table is, and I get a, ch a map of to see how this has fluctuated you know, okay. over the summer, and you see it. Right rising and falling and if you have yeah. even you know during, during a very dry period yes. it was way down and then we had the west you know more recently yeah. that it has risen up but the key thing is that they want to be able to restore it sufficiently that the water table will be held as yes. close as possible to the surface. So, so is no that those systems then that cell bonding? The cell bonding, yeah. System yeah. Would, will yeah. ensure that. Will ensure so you that. need that architectural kind of yeah. Um, yeah. caretaking. Yes, oh yeah. absolutely. And tell me about now, I'm going to jump because hmm. you're going to be coming in. 
Because you're a very knowledgeable man. I managed to trap you, like one of your moths in a trap. You're going to be coming in right. sometime over Christmas. I'd love to. To yeah. talk about yes. these yeah. amazing things. You've also yeah. built a pathway. You've yeah. got funding to build, yeah. uh, which I have not been down. Oh, right. So you and I we'll, walk we'll, that We'll now. walk that. Yeah. Um, a beautiful pathway into the bog. Mm. Um, but what I want to talk about, because I had a fabulous sighting um, of a tiger, a tiger moth. hawk moth. Yes, yeah. And also a hawk moth with the proboscis right. a few years yes. ago, and that's yeah, much yeah. more rare. Yeah. But talk to us about the, because I mean, I know we're exceptionally lucky where I walk. The f- we have rare orchids, mm, we mm, have mm. natural wild vetch, yeah. we have the most abundant yes. St. John's worth. Yeah. So we've got this fantastically diverse and rich yeah. and uncontaminated um, flora in the ditches and the hedgerows. But the moths really interest yeah, yes, me. Yeah, so tell yeah. me how you got into moths, Eugene. Um, I, was, <laughs> I suppose I was in. I was more interested in butterflies initially, you know, because butterflies are just incredible creatures. And like people say, oh God, that's a very fanciful kind of an occupation. <laughs> chasing butterflies, but butterflies are actually a very real barometer of the state of the ecology. Wow. Do you know, if you see because. If, if I, 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 I record butterflies and then I send my, my recordings up, I post them up to the National Biodiversity Archive and then I get reports down and you'll see each year, you know, numbers are dropping and since the 1980s, oh. some of the butterfly species have dropped by over 50%, really? 60%. Because yeah. my walk, I feel like I'm in a magical tapestry yeah, sometimes. Yeah, you are, because, and the key, the key yeah. is habitat. Yeah. If the habitat is right, they're there. But so as many. as we kind of deplete and yeah. destroy the habitat, yeah. then they're gone and they will actually okay. converge in areas where the habitat is good. Okay. Yeah. So can you tell me the name of the little blue butterfly? Yeah, well there are there are yeah, you've got you've got and I hate this term, they call it the common blue. Oh, I, I think so if anyone says common, I say it is, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah and it yeah. rises up out of the, out yeah. of the grasses, yeah. like this yeah. really strange. Yeah. So you're usual, I'd see an awful lot of red admirals, yeah. like a plethora yeah. of them. But this blue butterfly fascinates mm. me. Because well, there are three species of blue, actually. That's the common blue. Okay. And the male and the female are very different. The, 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 the female actually has a very brown, but a beautiful kind of rim of kind of orange and red around the upper wing. I think wing. I've seen them, And yeah. the underwing is, is absolutely mottled. It's like stained glass windows. Wow. It's beautiful, absolutely. Yeah. But the females actually stay very close to the ground. Okay. And you will see the blue, the male is the blue one. And he's patrolling all yes. the time, just looking, looking yeah. for females. Yeah, yeah. But you have the holly blue then, which is another... Um, this is kind of a periwinkly colour. This yeah. is a very periwinkly yeah. blue. It's, yeah, it's that's... Exotic yeah. to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are exotic, you know. Yeah. And um, my favourite one is the green hair streak, which you'll find on the forest bushes. And it's an incredible... It's a fluorescent, green fluorescent looking oh, butterfly. Yes, I've Have you seen, seen it? It's yes, tiny. Like top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's just about that yeah. size. It's absolutely stunning. God, yeah. that's, I have seen yeah, that, yeah. and again, you. So you're kind of. But moving to the moths, because right. this, this moth I saw in my own back garden, it felt yeah. almost like an intrusion in yes, the other world. Yes, yes. It was so exotic. Yeah, and have you seen the larvae for that? Well, no? it dropped. No, I haven't, yeah. because it did drop a red droplet. I don't know yeah. whether it was wee. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. like, well, actually, you're disturbing me. Yeah. But it was a, it had a fantastic, just to describe it to the listeners, it had a fantastic scarlet body. Yes. It had these zebra black and white wings, mm. and then when it opened its upper wings, underneath with these was this scarlet um, 
underwing with black spots. Yeah. That was yes, stunning. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, the moths are incredible. The moths are yeah. absolutely incredible, you know. And um, moths and butterflies are the same. Like they belong to the same species. Like, and they say that actually that the butterflies um, evolved from the moths. That the moths. Were, there are over three thousand species of moth in Ireland. Wow. We've only twenty. I think it's twenty-nine species of butterfly. But there are over three thousand species of moths. Wow. But we don't see the moths because you know most of them, although not all of them, but most of them at are at the flight. They fly. But well, this night. was in the day in the. And people say, why are they, you know, because some of them are, are spectacularly colourful and yeah. people would say, why are they so colourful? And the reason they're so colourful is because they are nocturnal and colour means nothing in, in, mm. you know, in the night time. But during the day, they have to rest up. And they will. They they need camouflage, and so they need they need greens and reds and blues. It was the black and white zebra. Yeah. <laughs> How I got into moths, I suppose, really, I met um, Trace Kelly, who was she's from National Parks and Wildlife. She kind of introduced me to it because she told me she was going to she wanted to go down to Cloncrow and she was going to put out a moth trap. And you know, I said, "Geez, I'd love to go along with you." Yeah. You know, so which I did, and then um, she actually left me her moth trap because I could continue on to. to uh, to do it but I was the first because the thing with m the moth trap is that it's 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 a fluorescent light it's a yeah. tubular light and there's yeah. a box underneath and it attracts the moths and they actually drop down into the box just to so you can to, see tonight them. so you can yeah. and then you you come in the morning and you look at them and you record them and you photograph them if possible and then you release them straight away so they say moth trapping but you're it, but it, actually you're nothing. just capturing yeah, you're just her, you're just yeah. capturing them yeah, so, um, so like you have to put the moth trap out at night time, you have to put it out, you know, at, at dusk, and, um, and then you have to come back at dawn, really, you know, to, to release it because you're not supposed to allow them to rest in the boxes for too long, you know, especially, okay. especially in the summertime because they, it'll heat up. And yeah, and could, they yeah. So, yeah. It, so you, you might go out, or you could go out at six in the morning or seven in the morning, but it's a fascinating because I remember when I went with trays, we went down. And I couldn't believe it. The, the surface of the bog was just covered with spider web. Yes. Absolutely yes. covered. I've and had like, those experiences. Yeah, it's incredible. Like, yeah. the dew, the yes. dew it, it made it visible. It's you unreal. Know. Like it is white, it, yeah, almost absolutely. candy flossy, almost. It's very yeah. odd. Yeah. So people Quite say dense. there's no life on the bog, like, you know, there's nothing. But I mean, yeah. this is just, it, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And these spiders are, you know, this yeah. is their, they're, they're, they're carnivores. Like, I have a friend who I went to college with who was doing a degree in, on the Book of Esther, would you believe? All right and I'm a PhD on it and he's got interested in spiders and now yeah. he's the Ireland's leading yeah. spider Arachno, expert he yeah. forgot he forgot about the book of yeah, Esther yeah, yeah. and just got totally trapped in yes. the web oh yeah because and could... he, he's discovered several new mm, species mm, yeah well spiders are uh, what's incredible. the best moth you've ever seen the best well I suppose the most intriguing one would be the emperor moth really that's okay. the emperor moth is actually it it it's confined basically to, to the, am I totally right in this, but it's more or less confined to the bogs, right? Wow. The thing with, 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 uh, with, with moths and with butterflies, um, you know, people say you, you should grow, you know, plants Bugia in your garden, buddleys yeah. in them. Buddleys is a very, is a terrible plant. Oh, really? Is it's, 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 well, well it, it's, it's, a, it's a real invasive species yeah. and like it has destroyed habitat. Like it, right, it's oh, like a hydrangea. Oh, yeah. yeah, Well, I mean, but the thing, obviously in your garden, I have two buddleys in the garden. <laughs> yeah. But people 
grow these plants like and they see the butterflies coming to them or whatever but what the butterflies are doing there is that they're nectaring they're feeding like they're getting yeah. taking the nectar but the key thing is is the is is the um is the plant where they lay their eggs right you see, so that's that if that plant is not there they can't then they're stay. gone so it's it's what it's what they call the food plant so that um the, the female will lay the eggs on this food plant, yeah. right? And some of them will, they might have a range of food plants that they can lay on, like with, you know, meadow browns and these are out in the fields and the meadows and they'll grow anywhere. But some of them are tied specifically just to one to one plant. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it's incredible. And the thing is, you know, if, if that plant disappears, if someone yeah. sprays or yeah. somebody, whatever, yeah. then that, the habitat as a breeding yeah. ground. So yeah. you, have, you have a breeding, you have, you have a nursery yeah. kind of, element to it and you have you have a restaurant element, element to, it, to it and where have you seen an emperor moth oh god yeah i, I actually reared emperor moths did you yeah, did you hand feed them you i did well, <laughs> well i was um i was down on the bog i which was in my moth trap actually and an emperor had come in and the emperor you put you put egg you put egg cartons into your moth trap because yeah. they do you know there's nooks and crannies in there and they'll rest up okay. there during the night time but the emperor moth laid eggs on the on the actual, on the, on the and carton. the actual, on the car. Oh, so, so I took these and I brought them home, and I knew the food plant. Do you oh, know? what's the food plant? When the food, the, the the emperor moths will actually feed. They they feed on header. They lay on header, like you know, right. the food plant for the food plant for the caterpillar. That's what we're talking okay. about. You see, so it they they on the bog. They they will they 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 lay their eggs um, on the header, and um, black thorn and white thorn as well, which would be on the very edge of the bog. They lay yeah. they lay, lay on that as well. So I brought them home, and then over the summer, <laughs> I had to put in black thorn and white thorn and get some yeah. header and put them in when 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 the. When the um, when the Black. caterpillars emerged okay. and then they grew up and, and they emerged and then they pupated and then do you know they and what colour is an emperor moth? Oh an emperor moth is the most glorious. It has two big eye spots on it. Okay. And it's it's very, very it's very, large. very large and it's multicoloured. I'll I'll show you some I'll photographs. To, yeah. Well you're going to yeah. be given a talk yeah, here, I will. so no, yeah. there could be a yeah. slide. Yes, yeah. You know? yeah. Well I'll I tell have. you what, I'll cut it there because right. I know the two of us could go on oh, forever. Yeah, yeah. Um and just to say to, to people who are listening that this is Eugene Dumbo and he will indeed be giving as you see he's fascinating he will be giving uh, some kind of talk here in the library that's it and thank you very much for not coming at all in. Garland, it's a pleasure um, thank you so beauty. much yeah good hello everyone and we're very fortunate to be joined by Melanie McQuaid I was going to say Melanie Griffith <laughs> <laughs> Melanie McQuaid the not quite famous <laughs> not yet the wonderful heritage officer here in Westmead County Council. And Melanie, you've just put together the draft plan. It's possibly finalised by the time this goes on air. Mm -hmm. But give us um, just an overview of what heritage is and what it's defined as in the plan. Okay, so heritage is very broad and technically it's defined by the 1995 Heritage Act which would list all the components of heritage. So you're talking about your built heritage, your archaeological monuments, your heritage objects, um, flora, fauna, geology, um, shipwrecks, which doesn't apply in Westmead, but all of that. I'd be surprised what you find in the bog. <laughs> or, well, in our lakes, indeed, there could yeah. be um, underwater archaeology, for sure. Yeah. yeah, so all of that. And then... A later definition in around 2003, UNESCO um, 
recognised intangible cultural heritage. So that is the heritage that you cannot see or touch. So, for example, the skill behind hurling or lace making, it's the skill that's the heritage that they're nodding to in the intangible. But of course, that refers also to our oral history, folklore, and all the other intangibles. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're very fortunate. We have, uh, I work with a wonderful colleague, Manos Lenehan, mm. and he's a very good local historian, and he will be giving a talk on the big wind sometime now in October, mm, which was the 1830s, I believe, and I believe Kilbegan was more or less destroyed mm. by fire, which I found it was And all the water affected. was flown out of the canal, something I haven't heard before, mm. ever. So Manus is fascinating and Manus will be giving that talk. So the whole idea of, I mean, I'm very interested in folklore. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very interested in fairy lore. So I'm hoping to start kind of investigating that mm. and see what happens. There. Yeah. So just with regard to this plan, how long is it going to run for? So we're in the process of preparing a new heritage plan and it will run from 2024 up till 2030. And uh, that's, so that's what, six years? Six years, yeah. yeah. I'm going to close the door here now because I can hear uh, patrons coming in. Um, and is there anything else with regard to the heritage that stands out for you? What's your main interest, Melanie? Oh, well. I know you're not allowed to have no, favourites no like favorites. children. <laughs> there are no favourites. No, look, I just find the whole subject interesting. I suppose when we talk about my background would have been in archaeology. Um, but... To me, all heritage is, is, okay. is of interest, absolutely. So you've seen our piece of wood out here. I have, in the yeah, how unusual is that? And it's been sitting out there for 20 years. For those of you who don't know, we have a piece of wood that was split open in the 1950s and inside, miraculously, was <laughs> discovered a, a, a carving of a church, which they say all relates back to penal times. Did you do any work, um, just talking about archaeology, did you do any excavations here mm. in... Not, um, not in Westmeath, okay. actually, no, but I suppose the nature of the job would be to move around. So, um, yeah, I did, yeah. did lots you? of other places. Okay, because <laughs> I do remember them digging the Cranog over here mm. at the Half Moon, mm -hmm. uh, which is fascinating because mm. it just looks like a field now. Yeah, so the idea that yeah. it was once a Cranog. And then, of course, there's Ballanderry Cranog, which would be close to Moat. Right. which was hugely interesting site was excavated back in the early 1930s by the Henkin expedition okay. from Harvard um, and they found some wonderful artifacts there so they know from that that it was a high status probably a royal site royal dwelling I don't know people might know the Ballanderry gaming board which is we think like a chess board but it's a beautifully carved wooden piece yes. which is in the National Museum yes and that was the wonderful Melanie McQuaid. Melanie is the Heritage Officer here in Westmeath and we'll definitely get Melanie back in and we'll have a chat with her because as you can see she's a font of knowledge. By the time this programme airs, Melanie will have put together the Heritage Plan for the next six years in Westmeath. So to find out more you can go to westmeadculture.ie well, it's October, so that means it is Children's Book Festival Month. So it's very important, not only for children's authors, but for children and families. There will be loads of things happening in local libraries. Usually there's events and speakers, and really the events can include anything, but they're not limited to author visit days, craft days, story times and sessions, book clubs, movie days and STEM days. So look in to your local library and find out what is going on for the whole month of October uh, to celebrate Children's Book Festival.
So thank you to all my guests who called into Cabagan Library to have a chat and to remind you that Eugene will be giving a talk some point before Christmas on Cloncrow Bog and the environs. With regard to what is happening in the libraries in Westmead now in the month of October, there's a couple of new groups starting. Um, I suppose I'd like to draw your attention to the new Irish-speaking group that's going to be starting in Kilbegan Library on Thursday the 5th of October at 4.30 in the afternoon. So, Manuel, some of us are going to on the 5th of October and we are opening the group up to anybody who's interested in improving their Irish. We will have a little um, dictionary page that we will pass around on a particular subject or a vocab sheet would be more the way to say it that we pass around on a new subject each week and we'll all just get to try and use and learn new words and speak Osgoelga to one another. We have opened the group when I say we, Manus Lenehan who works here is a fluent Irish speaker and I'm very interested in Irish so myself and Manus are setting the group up and we're opening it up to 16 year olds and over so that leaves a bit of room for anybody who's interested in improving their um, speaking Irish or Irish spoken word um, who may be doing exams and then another group that's starting as and it started as a result of the workshops that were funded by the heritage uh, office here in Westmeath uh, there's a new group emerging out of that with Emma Cassidy um, so Emma in the summer ran a traditional Irish heritage crochet lace workshops on behalf of the, um, or for, to celebrate Heritage Week and people were so fascinated. They travelled from all over the country to come and study with Emma from as far afield as Donegal and Wicklow. She has now started a whole new group. They're going to meet once a month. Places are limited so if you are interested Call the library here and I will pass your details on to Emma. Now, are you interested in self-publishing? If you're a writer and you're interested in this, there is a self-publishing workshop taking place with Anthony Viney in Mullingar Library on Saturday the 7th of October at 10am until 1pm. So Anthony is, as I say, an expert on this. If you can't make the Mullingar workshops, Anthony will also be going out to Castle Pollard Library and over two evenings, uh, two Thursday evenings, he'll give the same workshop. So in Castle Pollard Library, his workshop dates would be the 12th of October and the 19th of October. And the time for those evening workshops are, is six o'clock in the evening until 7.30. So a fantastic opportunity to learn the whole technical and editorial aspects of self-publishing. You don't need to pay to these events. These are free, but you do need to book. So go online and book your place now. Do you have a child aged between 8 and 12 years of age? Are you wondering what are you going to do with them on Saturday the 14th of October? Well, if you're wondering what you might like to do with them, why not come along to Moat Library or Kilbegan Library? Because the author James Hannon will be visiting the both libraries that morning and he will be discussing his debut children's novel, The Chil Thrilling Adventures of an Extremely Boring Boy. And this book tells about the little boy called Barry Dumphy, who's 10 years of age, who lives in a small town called Ballinacrack. What's that got to do with anything you might ask? Well, it turns out that Ballinacrack is the superhero and adventure capital of the world. So very interesting. 
James is a native of Athlone. He's also a primary school teacher, so very used to engaging with young people. He will be giving his workshop and reading in Moat at 10.30 on the 14th and in Cabagan Library at 11.30 on Saturday the 14th. So hopefully we'll see you there. Well, that's it for this month's podcast. So thank you very much for joining me, Caroline Barry, and I hopefully will have more interviews for you next month and will outline further events that are taking place in your local library. Remember that there are constantly groups running in the library. There are regular groups that meet, for example, knitting groups, crochet groups, baby and toddler groups, crafts groups, there are regular book clubs, there are pop-up Lego playtimes, there's just so much to do. So whenever you need to find out anything, go online to westmeatculture.ie. Meanwhile, I hope you have a lovely October and I'll be back again in November with more news. Thank you.